Um, so this morning we will be going through uh, our London Baptist Confession of Faith, and uh, we will be in chapter 20 on the, um, of our London Baptist Confession of Faith on the t- chapter of the gospel and of the extent of the grace thereof. Um, now we'll be picking up in paragraph 2 because I previously... Um, I actually uh, touched on this uh, chapter, um, paragraph 1, which actually is recorded on sermon audio. So uh, if anyone needs, um, you know, just to listen to that, to have a refresher or whatnot. Um, But in our study during that time, we considered the initial revelation of the gospel. Uh, And due to the fall of Adam, our federal head, The grace of God was necessary for man. Uh, And this grace was given in the form of a promise of the coming seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to the portion of our confession that emphasizes the fact that the gospel is revealed nowhere else but in the word of God. Yes, sir. I have my copy here. Oh, okay. It's on 681 in the hymn book. Okay, 681 in the hymn book, page 681. Sorry about that. Um, And so, like I said, this morning we're going to be considering paragraph 2, Lord willing, we should get through, uh, which I have entitled, um, The Unique Mode in Which the Gospel is Revealed. Um, Paragraph 2 of our London Baptist Confession of Faith in chapter uh, 20 states, This promise of Christ and salvation by Him is revealed only by the Word of God. Neither do the works of creation or providence with the light of nature make discovery of Christ or of grace by Him, so much as in a general or obscure way much less that men destitute of the revelation of him by the promise um, of, uh, or gospel should be enabled thereby to attain saving faith or repentance. So here, in this paragraph, the confession begins by asserting that the promise of Christ and salvation by him is revealed only in the scriptures. That is to say, only by the special redemptive revelation that is contained in our Bibles. The only way to know Christ and to obtain salvation by Him is to understand the revelation of the gospel that is contained in the Scriptures, only in the Scriptures. Now, in this chapter of the Confession, uh, you are going to notice that the Confession makes a distinction now between two types of revelation. Uh, this common distinction is, uh, is what's known as general revelation and special revelation. Um, in regards to uh, this subject, the Belgic Confession, which is a Dutch Reformed Confession of uh, 1561 through 1562, Article 2 of the Belgic Confession states the distinction in the following words. It states... We know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most elegant book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many characters, leading us to see clearly the invisible things of God, even his everlasting power and divinity. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, all which things are sufficient to convince men and leave them without excuse. Second, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. That is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to his glory and our salvation. In our own London Baptist Confession of Faith, um, chapter 1, paragraph 1 states, 
the Holy Scriptures in the, in the, is the only sufficient, certain, infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet are they, not, they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary unto salvation. So, now I'd like to consider some of the um, uh, topics in scripture when it comes to special revelation. Um, our confession here states, this promise of Christ and salvation by him is revealed only by the word of God. The necessity of the revelation of the gospel is stated in no uncertain terms here in the opening words of the paragraph. But also, this sentence also stresses the necessity of Scripture for our everyday lives. How we are to live not on only uh, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Scripture is our guide for our lives, beloved. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Bless you. Bless you. All right, Romans chapter 1. And here we have a very, um, one of the most important doctrines that, that is important for every Christian to understand is the doctrine of justification by faith. Here in Romans chapter 1, picking up verse 16, it states, For I am not ashamed, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, right, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. Notice here how Paul appeals to the scriptures as the foundation for his revelation on this doctrine of justification by faith. The sole foundation for Paul's doctrine here is based on what has been written in the scriptures. John Gill at this point writes, This righteousness is not known by the light of nature, and it is brought to light only by the gospel. It is hid from every natural man, even from the most wise and prudent, and from God's elect themselves before conversion, and is only made known to believers to whom it is revealed. I would like to, uh, to consider just a few other reasons. Now, that's important, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. I mean, that is a doctrine that we hold near and dear to our hearts because there's nothing that we can do to please God. Right, beloved? The only way is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And it's not even our faith that it is Christ who justifies. It is His works. So this is a doctrine that we need to hold near and dear to our hearts. It is a doctrine that is revealed to us by the scriptures. Now, there's a couple other things. Um, the scriptures reveal many truths to God's people. One of them is the, also the inclusion now of Gentiles being engrafted with the people of God. Uh, turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, picking up in verse 2, and we'll be reading 2 through 6. Paul writes here, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written, written already by which when you read 
excuse me, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So here, you know, Paul's speaking about this revelation now that the gospel, salvation through Jesus Christ, is not only now just for the Jews. It's actually for all of God's people whom he has chosen outside of the ethnicity of the Jews, of the Jewish nation. Where we hear Jews, um, uh, Gentiles, can be engrafted into the people of God as the new Israel. Israel. Here we have the revelation of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation being engrafted into the people of God. Uh, Turn your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 9 now. Back to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, uh, picking up in verse 24 and following, Paul writes, Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea. Look at Paul is appealing to Hosea and he quotes and he says, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. So here Paul is appealing to Hosea for his doctrine, for his teaching on Gentiles being engrafted into the people of God here. The scriptures also reveal election um, from amongst not only the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Uh, Turn your eyes up to a few verses up in the same chapter, uh, Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But, and he's quoting, in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done anything good or evil, that the purpose of God, uh, excuse me, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Excuse me. Now here again, Paul is appealing to the scriptures, the revelation of God, appealing to him from the scriptures about this doctrine of election. And it goes beyond just the, the Jewish people, but God has chosen Gentiles. God has chosen people from here. God has chosen people from other countries, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God has an elect people. And that through the power and means of Jesus Christ and the gospel, he will save his people. He will bring his people to Christ. Now, furthermore, the scriptures um, also communicate God's will to us. God's will specifically in his son Jesus Christ. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll be picking up in uh, verse 1. God who at various times and in various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now, notice here, 
when he says that God has spoken in various ways in various times in the past. Now we know from the Old Testament, God gave visions, gave dreams to the prophets, right? To communicate his will. But these prophets, these men, they recorded God's revelation to them in the Old Testament. And so we appeal to the Old Testament for God's will to see what God has said. Um, But notice what the writer says. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Now, I'll venture to ask anybody, has anyone actually got a phone call from Jesus or actually seen him and have him speak to you directly? No. Not at all. Has anyone received an email from Jesus or anything like that? No. How has God spoken to us in these last days in his son? Or in the Greek, one who is was by the New Testament, beloved. Our New Testament Bible, our, our Bibles now in the New Testament, Christ speaks to us. He speaks to us through his apostles. We see him through the Gospels. The apostles have declared Christ's will for us, beloved. They, the New Testament tells us of the promises that Christ has for us. So in that way, God, Christ has spoken in these last days. In the New Testament scriptures. And there is no other place we are to seek the voice of Christ other than the New Testament. Other than the scriptures themselves. We're not to be people who entertain ideas of, you know, audible voices in the head or whatever the case may be as God speaking to you. Beloved, if you want to know what Christ has spoken, look in your Bibles. Look in your Bibles. Um, Furthermore, um, uh, the scriptures reveal Christ and all of his attributes and his love for his people. Uh, turn your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 5. The Gospel of John, chapter 5. And pick it up in verse 39. And here, Jesus now is talking with the Pharisees as, a, as they're dialoguing. And he says to the Pharisees, Um, He tells them in verse 39, chapter 5, verse 39, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. And then now this is something we have to be careful. Um, A lot of people will brag, oh, I've read the Bible. I know when I try to evangelize people, witness to people, they'll say, oh, I read the Bible. I've read the Bible multiple times cover to cover. Right. Here's the thing. A lot of times they don't understand reading the Bible is for the purpose of seeing somebody. Okay? And a lot of people can have a lot of head knowledge. I mean, you have atheists that would try to quote the scriptures and debating Christians and all these things, right? Muslims, all these people tend to appeal to scripture or whatever when debating us, pointing out what so-called contradictions and all these things, right? But they have missed one thing. The scriptures testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us as Christians to see Christ, we have to search the scriptures in order to know him more thoroughly, more fully. Okay? Christ tells these Pharisees that these are the scriptures that testify of me. And he says to them, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Uh, the scriptures are, 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 is what leads people to Christ. The scriptures point to Christ. Uh, go to the next chapter in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 45 now. It says here, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, how do men hear and learn from the Father? How do men, how are men taught by God? Well, it's not some vision or some voice or someone claims God has spoken to me and I declare before you. No, how God does it now, beloved, is through the preaching of the gospel and through the scriptures. That is how men are taught and learn from the Father. And God, by His Holy Spirit, leads such an individual to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. 
It is not some repentance to, to religious um, uh, uh, actions or, you know, a religious uh, pride or anything. No. The Scriptures, with the power of the Holy Spirit, lead sinners directly to Christ. To Christ. If the Scriptures are the only means of all saving revelation and knowledge, particularly the Gospel now, then it logically follows that it excludes all other means of knowledge. All other means of knowledge. Whatever knowledge men can muster up before you, the scriptures are the only special revelation that is capable to save sinners. Now, con contrary to the revelation, uh, special revelation uh, that is contained in scripture, where the gospel is contained and revealed to us, the light of nature is not sufficient to save anyone from the wrath of God. Not at all. In regards to general revelation, the confession states, neither do the works of creation or providence with the light of nature make discovery of Christ or of grace by him so much as in a general or, or obscure way. Now, negatively, the gospel is not revealed, even obscurely, through general revelation. If we were to search the, 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 this whole world's vast library of knowledge and wisdom and all the rest, we will not come across the gospel at all. It doesn't reveal it. This world's wisdom does not reveal the gospel. Uh, Stan Reeves, on his modern version of the London Baptist Confession, he states, So, not even in a general or an obscure way does general revelation show the gospel of Christ. This distinction between general and special revelation focuses more on the extent and purpose of, rev of, the revela of revelation. General revelation is referred to as general because it has a it's, it gets general content to all men generally through general revelation to all men God communicates now his existence through general revelation God communicates his power and his glory such that men are left without excuse you know, we see this world, I mean, just driving here this morning, you know, it was a, it was a very pleasant ride, you know, the scenery, we're going uh, through, we take the, um, we kind of take the scenic route. I hate coming on the highway anywhere. I don't care if I save a half hour's worth of time, it's not, it's not, it's not worth it to me. I mean, I almost ruined a vacation going through the Bronx driving to Florida. Just that was just bumper to bumper traffic. I could not deal with it. But one of the things that just it struck me as I'm driving here is seeing the beautiful mountains of this area, you know, and seeing the historic, beautiful towns that, you know, my mind goes back to me. I wonder how in, in our early settlers and the Puritans and stuff, how it was here. How live was this church here for this community, you know? That crosses my mind a lot, and I see the beauty of God's creation. It's, it's like a beautiful painting, you know? And to think people will see that and it doesn't cross their mind and who's the artist of this artwork, right? I mean, nature does confirm that there is a God. I would like to consider how far now men can go on general revelation now. How far can men go? Well, by general revelation, the world comes to know of God's moral standards. And I don't mean by looking out on nature, but looking out about everybody's conviction or the law of God written on the hearts of man. There's a moral standard everybody can see here. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, please. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Picking up in verse 14, Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, 
their consciences also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And this is something we know, you know, when I was, uh, before I was a Christian, I would wonder, like, you, you know, I would hear people, oh, people go to hell for rejecting Jesus Christ. And I would think, well, you know, I, I believed that originally before I was a Christian, but then I thought, what about the people who never heard of the gospel, who never heard of Christ, you know, who do not know anything that, that is contained in the Bible? You know, why do they go to hell? The answer is because God has written his law on the hearts of men. Us being made in the image of God, we have God's uh, characteristics when it comes to understanding there's a, mor there's a moral standard. There's a moral law. And this all of a sudden, it was like a revelation to me. Before I even became a Christian, I was like, wait, this makes sense. This is why God can judge sinners in the farthest, darkest tribes um, in this world who know nothing of religion, but God will judge them because of his moral law written on their hearts and their consciences either excuse or accuse them. And this is why in other countries who have no religion or any um, uh, understanding of Christianity, this is why they all have like more like these laws of what's right and wrong. They all know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to murder. No one sees it as Oh, that's a good thing. Oh, I didn't know that was a bad. No, it's just written on the hearts of men. You know, I think about um, the Harambee Code now. Around 1750 BC, the ancient people of Mesopotamia had a civil law code, which was called the Code of Harambee. Harambee, excuse me. This code consisted of 282 laws, which dealt with matters like slander, fraud, Wages to uh, laborers, for laborers, sexual behavior, theft, adultery, divorce, murder, and liability. This code of laws was arranged in an orderly group so that everyone who read the laws would know what was required of them. You know, this is something that we see through nature that God has a moral standard and all men are aware of this though they try to suppress it so much saying there is no God everything's relativism right what's right for me is and for my uh, country and what's right for you is for you and your country men outside the knowledge of the scriptures uh, can build governments and laws and civilization but they will not come to a knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ the world can obtain knowledge that God exists. Now, we spoke about this, but, you know, back in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and following, he says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse now for atheism at all. You know, as I understood more about apologetics and, the, and, and um, God's uh, moral law and all these things and how you can't have truth unless you have God, you can't have right and wrong unless you have God, like what I tend to find is that Atheism and all other religions that they borrow from the Christian worldview, they borrow from these things of knowing what's right and wrong. They try to ha live a whole life. They try to build a whole philosophy outside of God, that God is not a part of, and you can't do that in God's world. This is God's world. You will be created and made in the image of God. You can't do that. It's impossible. But they try. You know, and a lot of people can become great, great philosophers. Um, for example, um, wait, excuse me. Here, Paul declares that not only does creation give evidence of God's existence, but also even wicked men recognize that evidence. Without the Bible, some knowledge of God is certainly attainable. People can obtain a knowledge that God exists and some knowledge of his attributes simply by observing the world around them because it's God's world. Um, now, one of the things I was thinking about when I was talking to a brother the first time I pre touched on, uh, teached on this uh, paragraph, we were talking about how even in this world you have these great f philosophers and great thinkers of the past. 
you know, and we, one of the things that people came into modern tuna was Plato and Aristotle now. Plato was a philosopher and a mathematician in Greece in 423 BC and was the founder of an academy in Athens, which was the first institution of higher learning in the Western world. In the secular world, Plato is considered one of the greatest philosophers. Plato, by observing nature, came to agree that there was an existence of a God, that there was some form of intelligence behind creation. The writings of Plato and Aristotle have greatly influenced philosophers today. So even with the greatest thinkers, God's existence, it's, it's too obvious for sinners. It's too obvious for men to deny it. To, so that's why Paul says you have to suppress it. It's not so you can just lightly pass over. No, wicked men have to suppress the knowledge of God about his existence. They have to, they have to work at it. And they become fools in doing so. They become fools. Now, but if you observe, excuse me, <clears throat> now you know why? Because, um, but if you, excuse me, if you observe their writings, nowhere will you find that these men, by observing nature, came to know the one true God at all. They, through all of their writings and all of their wisdom and all of their learning, they never came to understand that the God of heaven is angry with sinners. All of their, now, even if they lived a thousand years each, you could understand all these things, but you will never come to a knowledge of God's anger against sin and the need of a Savior. It won't happen. You know why? Because general revelation can only tell them that there is a God. That's it. And they are considered some of the greatest philosophers of our time, even our day. General revelation only gets you so far. The world in its greatest wisdom will never come to the correct knowledge of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Please turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, picking up in verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Here we see that even the greatest wisdom in this world, God clearly shows that it's worthless wisdom. It's worthless wisdom, wisdom apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. God does not save through nature. Can't believe people who say, you know, I have a relationship with God through nature. Through nature. No. You will not be saved that way. God does not save through nature. He saves through the gospel. Through the gospel. Looking at creation gives evidence for the infinite power, wisdom, and beauty of God. This is the same evidence that Paul and Barnabas used to appeal to the Greeks and Lystria. And if you turn your Bibles here to Acts 14. Go turn to Acts 14. Acts 14, picking up in verse 15. Picking up in verse 15 and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from the, these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are, are in them. Who is bygone generations? Who has in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways? Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and the fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And we see here, just by the way nature is. I mean, just how everything is by design. 
You know, it's amazing how our human bodies work. You know, this can't just be by circumstance, you know, that we just, our bodies just over evolution and time just did these things. Or how, you know, the, the, the seasons of the, of, our, of, a, of the world, you know, the four seasons we have with growth and food and all these things. This is not just some big bang explosion that all these things came into being. No, it absolutely proves the existence of God. And Paul is appealing to these people just to consider these things here is to point you to that there is a God. In Acts 17, verse 22, it says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious now. You know, people become very religious in all these acts of being in some type of relationship with God, but it falls far short, beloved. Far short. Of being of knowing the one true God. Therefore, even without the scriptures, every person who has ever lived has had evidence through the creation that God exists. And so therefore, that's why in Psalms 14 it speaks about only the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Only the fool says that. Now, Joseph Stalin now. <clears throat> was an atheist who was a communist leader of the Soviet Union from the mid-1920s until his death in 1953. And Stalin, on March 5, 1953, after suffering a stroke four days earlier, I read somewhere that Stalin's daughter witnessed her father's last moments in bed. And it was by, she saw by him raising his fist toward the sky, shaking his fists in utter defiance. Now, I wonder, who do you think he was shaking his fist at? God. And one of the things I actually, I confirmed, you know, he actually had a religious education in his youth. He actually went to a, a Christian school and a theological training, um, like board school or something like that. And he was kicked out. But this man, he actually came to learn about God and the things of, 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 the, of the scriptures. And then suppresses the truth of God, lives his whole life in wickedness, only to die shaking his fist in defiance to God. What a sad, what a wasted life. General revelation, without a shadow of a doubt, proves that God exists. Proves that he exists. Now, just in case, if anyone was wondering, the Bible itself speaks of, of this distinction of general revelation and special revelation. Um, and I can think of no better chapter than actually Psalms chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19 um, contains uh, this, this implication of two revelations, general revelation and special revelation. Verses uh, 1 through 6 is in regards to general revelation. Uh, picking up in verse 1, Psalm 19 verse 1 states, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where there is a voice where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of the chamber, and rejoice like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And here we just, what we've already been touching on now, is just nature proves, general revelation does not prove God doesn't exist. It proves, it declares the glory of God. Now, picking up in verses 7 and following, the writer here speaks about the special revelation that is contained in the scriptures. And he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, by strength, my strength and my redeemer. You know, what a beautiful picture that the Christian is to have with the word of God. I mean, when we're actually reading our Bibles every day, meditating on God's word, these are the things that take place in the hearts of God's people. I mean, it, it, it convicts us of sin, right? It shows us in areas in our life that we need to get right with God. It alarms us. It, it causes us. It awakens us to repentance towards God. It also is a, God's word is a, a hedge that, that helps us to resist sin. You know, the, like he says, I've hidden your word in my heart. So, the, so what? That I may not sin against you. You know, this is the relationship that God's people need to have with his word. And you don't get this relationship out in nature. You don't get this relationship looking to the things of the world to have some relationship with God. No, you get this relationship being acquainted with God's word, beloved. And what a good God that we have that he has reserved his scriptures, his word for his people for generations past. I mean, without the Bible, what hope do we have, beloved? What hope do we have? We just had fragments here and there, parchments, right? And we just did. And if God was not faithful in keeping his word, what, what hope do we have? No, but God is faithful. He preserved his word in full, and he has given us everything in his word pertaining to life and godliness. We have it here. And so... You know, this is something I would encourage people. Make sure you're reading your Bibles every day. Even for the, the, the youth, the young ones here, read your Bibles every day to keep your relationship with God. God's Word will not stare you wrong. It will reveal God to you in powerful ways to which you could be in the, the, the darkest prison in the world. If you have the Word of God, you can have joy and unspeakable. You can have... Just exceeding joy. I mean, think about Paul when he was in chains. He talks about telling other people, rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Paul, you're locked up. You're in chains. You're in prison. I don't care. I'm telling you to rejoice. With Christ, we could rejoice in any circumstance, beloved. Know your Bibles. Be acquainted with the Word of God. You know, men will not be saved unless they come in direct contact with the gospel revealed in the scripture. And that's why people, when they are to preach, they preach from the word of God. You don't preach from your imaginations. Before I was a Christian, I remember the, one of the, some of the churches I attended to, it was just storytelling and all these things about, you know, things that God has done in their lives, but they would not open up the scriptures declaring God's revealed will. And let me tell you something, nobody will be saved under such preaching like that. They will only be saved by those who preach God's word, who go through God's word, verse upon verse, precept upon precept. That is what, that is what build a healthy church. Against all views of the sufficiency of the light of nature or man's own ability to discover truth, this paragraph declares that men need the word of God, the gospel, in order to be saved. Now, London Baptist Confession of Faith states, um, coming to a close, much less that men destitute of the revelation of him by the promise 
or gospel should be enabled thereby to obtain saving faith or repentance. And this is touching on a lot of stuff we already said. But here the confession states clearly, it is impossible for anyone to obtain true saving faith and true saving repentance apart from the revelation of the gospel. You know, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Not by the wind blowing through the leaves of the tree, right? Or looking at the sun and its beauty of the mountains and all these things. No. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Very simple. In regards to faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, Calvin also states, it must be further noticed that faith is grounded on nothing less but the truth of God. For Paul does not teach us that faith springs forth from any other kind of doctrine, but he expressly restricts it to the word of God. I like that. And this restriction would have been improper if faith could rest on the decrees of men. It is restricted to the word of God, beloved. Stephen Hoffmeyer writes, If men are only saved by coming in contact with the word of God revealed in Scripture by some means or other, then the implication is that without the word of the gospel, no one is saved, not even one. Whether men have more or less light by nature or common grace, whether they have a view of God that approximates the Christian view, this matters not at all. We ask again the question of Romans chapter 10. How shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? The fact is that the nations sit in darkness. The burden is on those who have the light to bring it to those who do not have it. And that's a, that's a direction, that's a command for us, beloved. You know, Christ says, go out to all nations, right? Making disciples, teaching them everything that I have taught you. You know, that's a, that is a command for all of us, beloved, to spreading the gospel to our family, our loved ones, our co-workers, Wherever we find ourselves able to, we have the opportunity to give the gospel, we are to do it. We're people of light, right? We have been transformed out of the kingdom of darkness onto the kingdom of the light of Christ. What business do we have hiding that light? Like, like Christ says, putting it, a candle under you know, a, a, a shade or something. It's worthless. If you have the light of the gospel and of Christ, beloved, you're to shine that light. You're to spread that light of the gospel. Because think about it, someone shared it with you, did they not? One of Christ's people came and preached the gospel to you, and you were saved. So likewise, you have to do the same. You are to do the same. <clears throat> I would like to, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to through is, uh, 2, excuse me, it says, By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee, of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. They have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Look at the terms that the writer uh, Isaiah is using here. In the land of the shadow of death, upon them a great light has shined. The gospel is light. The gospel leads men to eternal life. It leads them to the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all men outside of that sit in darkness. They're in the shadow of death. You know, at the beginning of the Reformation, when the church was pulling out of the dark ages, there was a term that was coined, and it was post-tenebrous luke, <clears throat> after darkness, light. Light. And what light are they speaking of? The light of the gospel. The light of the gospel. Christian, have you forgotten what darkness the Lord has saved you from? Sometimes I can tend to forget that. And I have to be reminded of these things that, you know, if it wasn't for the Lord's grace in my life, I would be dead in my trespasses and sins. And 
the Lord would be completely just if he was to let me live on in my sins and cast me into hell. The Lord has been merciful to us, beloved. We were once in darkness and he gave us light. He gave us, he took us out of general revelation and, and sat, has, uh, sat us under his special revelation of his word. And so, beloved, be that we have these things and we sit in the light of Christ, in the light of his word, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in our King. Let us rejoice in our Savior that he has regarded us from before the foundations of the world. And then let us also remember that we are to go to the nations. We are to go to the people, giving, shining that light, that light of Christ, speaking the gospel, declaring men to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be grateful. You know, as it says um, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we um, thank you for this uh, portion of our study in our London Baptist Confession of Faith. Lord, we thank you. And as far as it agrees with Scripture, Lord, of the truths that are nicely summarized for us to understand, Father, we thank you so much for snatching us, uh, as it were, from the flames of hell, Lord. Um, thank you, Lord, for snatching us out of darkness, Lord, of this world and our own sinful hearts, Lord, and shining your light in the most deepest, darkest places of our hearts, Lord. Revealing, revealing our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you so much for us being under the light of your mercy and your grace, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for our King of kings and Lord of lords of our lives, Lord. We love you and we thank you. We pray you will bless the remainder of this day. We pray these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.